RadioInfluence.com. As America's zone coach, premier thought leader, and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person. He has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries. He has coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin, Jim Fannin has been behind the scenes guiding individuals through the intricate process of peak performance. His success tools are not just for the superstar. They're designed to help you reach your full potential as you tap into life's most successful mindset, the zone. And now, please welcome the coach of champions and America's zone coach, Jim Fannin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. I'm Jim Fannin. My name is Seth, Jim's sidekick and producer here on America's Most Positive Podcast. Uh, This is a really special episode, which we're going to get into. But first, Jim, so what's going on this week? What's on your mind? Uh, My mind, uh, well, it's been relatively calm in a very chaotic week. So I I have found definitely uh, a mountain lake cool and calmness. Uh, this week, uh, I'm typically giving six, 7,000 cell phone minutes a month. Uh, I don't know what I did this week, but I was on the phone a lot and I was coaching a lot. And, and I realized there, there are a lot of challenges, uh, for my clients, a lot of challenges for just fans in general, uh, even from the Ash Jim, uh, mailbag. And, and I really believe, um, there's a lot of chaos in the world. There's a lot of confusion. There's not a lot of clarity. And, and I'm also seeing that uh, a lot of people do not have a blueprint, not, not just for their overall life, but a blueprint for the week or a blueprint for the day or even a blueprint for uh, a presentation. You know, last week uh, we talked about getting ready for the big event, uh, the big presentation. Obviously, we had the U.S. Open um, uh, getting ready for a, a major on the pro golf tour. I had a one hour coaching session and when those happen, they're scheduled and I'm, I have a generic idea, but in this particular phone call, I had no idea. Uh, so here we have one hour. The person on the other end of the phone uh, has a serious, stressful challenge that needs to be resolved in less than uh, 120 minutes. And uh, so I almost felt like I was talking to someone off of a clip. So I'll, I'll give you the scenario. So to answer your question, coaching has been on my mind uh, this past week and, and on my mind right now. I get on the call with uh, a female who is an expert in one subject and she is about to give a presentation in front of 500 people. And as most of us know, giving a speech is one of the most stressful, traumatic things that you can possibly do. Uh, I, I didn't know, know her, but she had heard me give a live speech uh, in uh, Vancouver in the Rogers Center, 15,000, 20,000 people in the audience. So I found out she was one of those audience members. 
And that's really what prompted her call. So she's getting ready to give a speech in front of peers, a speech she's never given, and she is panicked. Uh, I could listen to her breathing. She was over 20 breaths a minute, no question about it. And the key in coaching is to be proactive in your listening, almost aggressive listening. So I'm looking for uh, tonality shifts, high pitches, uh, definitely looking for negativity. Uh, is she staying in the past? Is she flipping back into the future? So I need to find out, you know, what is point B? Uh, what are we trying to accomplish? And, and where's point A? And then I need to help her get there swiftly from B to A and then back to A to B. Uh, mentally reverse engineer from B to A and then physically put her on a pathway to go out and just, you know, hit a home run in terms of a speech. So here was the challenge. After asking her some questions, so I, how, how are you going to open your speech? And she reads off a sheet of paper her opening, and it was all about her. Uh, what are you going to tell them during the speech? <clears throat> and she did have eight distinct points that she wanted to walk through. And how are you going to close? And what do you want the audience individually and collectively, what do you want them to think when your speech is over? And they drive you know, away alone in their car. What do you want them to think? Which is really B, what, what do you want them to think about and what do you want them to do? What is the action uh, re as a response to your speech? And she had written the speech out and was going to memorize it, which is not easy to do yeah. and something I definitely don't recommend. If you have stress and you're breathing over 20 breaths a minute, uh, if you get off track, you can blank out really easy. And that's one of the most terrifying things of a public speaker to get up there and, uh, uh, you know, you know, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Hi, 500 people. I, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing for you. And as it turned out, uh, we chucked her entire speech. So in 30 minutes, I helped her re rewrite the entire speech. And she started off by tell them what she's going to tell them. And uh, the speech was about ketosis. And she was going to start off by telling her name, and I love ketosis. And uh, to give the passion and get the audience and then ask the audience a question, how many of you love ketosis? Of course, part of the audience didn't know what it was. And then she explained it. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Then you tell them. And then you tell them what you told them. And then we created two jokes that she would sprinkle whenever. Uh, and the jokes were created very quickly. Uh, I love ketosis so much. I, I think I'm getting a tattoo. I hope they spell it correctly. <laughs> you know, can you imagine having ketosis and it's spelled wrong anyway uh, as a tattoo? And she goes, you know, I'm getting ready to get a pet. I think I'm going to name it Keto. Well, for this particular wellness audience, uh, it went well. Um, I did talk her off the cliff. She gave a home run speech, and it relaxed her. But the key was know how to get on stage, know how you're going to get off stage, and then what are the key points you want to deliver. So 
the key to coaching is to have someone tell you what their mission is, what their challenges or perceived challenges are, and then boil it down to the essence of the challenge and the essence of really what they're trying to do. Because most people put so much emotion into what they're doing, especially a pressure situation where in, you know, 120 minutes, she's on. She's on stage. Yeah. Yeah. It, game game on. And I think one of the other keys, and I, I've done this in all my speeches, is once you're prepared like that, you know how to get on stage, you know how to get off stage, and you also know the key points you want to make, uh, is to clear the launch. So this is a tool that uh, I'd like to give the audience right now, everyone listening. If you've got a big presentation, if you've got a big speech, you need to trust, if you're prepared the day before and definitely about a minute before, go blank. Clear your mind. Unhinge your jaw. Get your breathing down to six to eight breaths a minute, which is a departure from uh, a typical speech giver, which is approaching 20 breaths a minute. And that's what she did. She cleared her mind. Uh, she had repeated, I am a champion, uh, multiple times, flooding her mind. I am the expert. Um, initially, the speech was all about her. And then she realized it's not about me. It, it's about what the audience thinks. It's got nothing to do with me at all. I'm just the messenger, and I'm an expert, and I can send this message. Um, Anyway, that's what's on my mind. So I get a lot of those calls, Seth, all the time. Some are surprises. Some I'll get a little uh, email to tell me, you know, what the challenge is. But uh, we all have challenges in our life. And the key is to be decisive. In order to be decisive, I need to know what are the risks, what are the rewards, um, what are the basics, and just kind of lay them out there in front of you and do your best to see what it is with no emotion. Okay, and before we move on, I, I do have to know one thing. How often does this happen where you've had somebody that's that under the, un, you know, up against a deadline? Hey, Jim, I got two hours. <laughs> that, oh, no, that, that's that a, happens? No, it's an everyday thing. That's an everyday thing. Yeah, especially, yeah. you know, you're coaching a baseball player. Uh, I'm coaching a pitcher. Maybe he's coming back from an injury. Uh, maybe he had a rehab assignment in the minor leagues, but now he's making his new debut uh, of the season. Or maybe it's the beginning of the season. It, it is the debut of the season. Maybe it's his major league debut. Um, and uh, that's a different circumstance, different condition, situation. Um, so I will get that call an hour before, um, 30 minutes before. And I've had some that, In fact, I had another race car driver uh, call me, um, a client. Uh, He is a race car driver, and he said, I have one minute. I'm not sure that I'm ready. One minute before he gets in the car and the race begins. Yeah, one minute. And uh, I'm not going to get into what went on in that one minute. uh, But the first thing I, I think as a coach I need to be what I want you to be. So if I need you to be confident, and I believe that's the missing score element, self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, enjoyment, 
Well, if I want you to be confident, I need to be confident. Uh, If I need you to relax, then, well, I I need to talk in a more relaxed way, in a calming way. If I need you to get a little fired up, I need, let's go, let's get fired up. I need to bring whatever uh, I believe is the missing ingredient for you. I must reflect that. Um, That's why I love coaching because it's, uh, it is objective. Um, it changes. Uh, the score system remains the same. That's the constant in all my coaching. Uh, that's how I've been able to coach 10 pro sports and 50 industries. Uh, but every day's fun and exciting. Uh, not, not always for my clients when they call in, you know, uh, with a challenge. Uh, but I like the pressure. I've got one minute to help this person get ready for a big event. And, uh, my greatest fear is to give them too much information, talking too much, uh, regurgitating everything I know about the subject. Uh, that's, that's a danger for coaches. So if you're coaching, if you're teaching, if you're helping uh, volunteer in a little league coaching, uh, you know exactly what they need to do. But sometimes you just need to give them one point and one point only or, or maybe they just need some encouragement. Um, I know parents, uh, and I'm a parent, and I coached a, a daughter that uh, wanted uh, that national high ranking and state ranking in tennis. And the tendency is to say too much before the event. Uh, give too many instructions. And don't forget, don't forget, you know, get your toss up really high. And don't forget, hit the ball out in front of you. Uh, I remember um, it was spring training. This is a few years back. And I'm on the side where the pitcher I'm coaching is warming up right before the game. And he's going to throw a couple more pitches. Then he's going to go to the dugout, rest just a little bit, and the game is starting. Uh, So while I'm watching him uh, throw on the sideline before the game, he has a pitching coach that said, listen, don't forget, you, you need to keep your landing foot right here on this position. And they walked through that technique, and I'm thinking, really? That, that seems a little too technical uh, for me to be thinking about my foot, uh, and I'm going on in a couple of minutes. And But, okay, that's a pitching coach. You know, what do I know? You know, I'm not with the, this person every single day yeah. watching him pitch. And then he makes a, another comment about making sure that his elbow uh, got a little bit higher, almost in, in the slot. And then the third tip uh, was to hold his balance point just for a fraction. So I'm sitting there going, oh, my goodness, I, my client is not going to be able to process. So hopefully he has abandoned two of them and just let them pass through his brain. Maybe he's holding on one of them. Maybe he has none of them. Maybe he's actually ready. But the key when you start anything is to get your energy away from you. Any sport, when you start, your energy in tennis must be on the other side of the net. That's my information center. That tells me, uh, do I need to hurry? Uh, Do I have less time? Do I have more time? Uh, It's going to help dictate the shot. Uh, In golf, I need to get my energy away from me, away from my swing thoughts. I need to be thinking about where am I hitting the, tar- you know, what target do I have? Is it a hula hoop size target? 
basketball. I need to get my energy down the floor. Uh, I need to be looking to the guy in front of me uh, so I can understand if I'm a defender, I know where he's going to move. All my energy needs to be there, not on me personally. If my energy's on me, that's how you're going to choke. And uh, to tell you how this works, I took four world-class tennis players and I had them sprint and we had a little contest of who was going to be the fastest that day. And we were sprinting approximately 100 yards. And on your mark, one, one person at a time, on your mark, get set, go. Everybody was timed. Exactly. Stop. You're 10.3, whatever the time was. That'd be a pretty fast 100. And, um, and again, they are all very gifted, very fast. Then... I had each of them look at my hand. I'm on the finish line, and I'm holding up fingers, one finger, then four fingers, then three fingers. They were all racing at the same time. Who's going to win? Well, we already know who the fastest guy was. We, we had yeah. the individual time. So, obviously, that guy should be winning, right? And as they're running toward me, they're looking at my numbers that I'm holding up. They had to give me the sum total of those numbers as they crossed the finish line. Now, what happened was all four of them had their by far slowest time. And the guy that was first, uh, literally in, in the time, uh, finished dead last because once you start thinking, you slow down. Uh, your body's not fluid. It doesn't flow. So the more thoughts you have, the slower you'll be. You'll have less strength. And, and that's even bench pressing. I, I want to be breathing the bar off of my chest and exploding it. But my energy is to where I want the bar to be when I'm done. I, I want it to be my, with my arms straight well up above me, getting your energy away from you when you start any event to the objectives, to the strategy, to the tactics, that's the key of getting off to a good start. Overthink, parents given too much information, uh, that's going to increase your thoughts, probably increase your breathing, uh, energy's on you, where does it go? It'll go in the muscles, and so you're not as fast, not as quick, not as strong, and you're very susceptible of being off balance. I'm going to clear, throw, clear, clear the launch. Clear the launch. Clear your mind. Can, can I throw two questions at you before we get into yeah, our guests? Yeah, go okay. for it. So my first question here on, on clear the launch, and this is for, you know, if you're coaching, if you're leading a, a business team, obviously, uh, you know, sports or business, there's a lot of time to prepare. There's a lot of time to get better. Thinking about the business world, I actually think that maybe for most companies, uh, for most leaders, maybe most of your money comes from just 12, 14 hours a year. It's those big moments, you know, when you're locking down a relationship, when you're at, uh, you know, when you've got a pitch, right? When you have that moment where you know, the money, when you say the money's literally on the table, right? Uh, you you talked about going light on your team or or on your player like a day before. 
So really, if we're coming up to a big moment, it's the day before and the day of. The day before is maybe real light. The day of is just you're The ready. day before, work on your strengths. Work on the key points of the presentation. You know, do a dress rehearsal. Uh, I've never given a speech I haven't already given in my mind. And especially, I know how I'm going to open. Now, I have maybe six openings uh, for a speech. I've walked out on stage uh, not knowing how I was going to open. You had to see how the crowd reacted? I did. And now that's stressful. But I want that stress. And I know that if I relax and I, I lock into the audience, that will take me into a zone state. Uh, it's never failed me. But it is, um, it's a little nerve-wracking, I, I, I guess, uh, for most people. I, if I said, uh, 90 seconds before your speech, turn your brain off, don't think about it. That's not easy to do. Um, but clearing the mind, clearing the launch, uh, dealing from your strength, uh, that's all I would work on on the day before. And then the day of, try to be as normal as possible. Get the same amount of sleep you normally do. Eat the same foods you normally eat. Don't do anything different just because, oh, my gosh, it's a big presentation. Uh, avoid slugging coffee. You know, I need, to, I need to get really fired up, so, you know, I'm going to get some caffeine. Uh, if you don't do that on a normal day, I definitely wouldn't do it on the day of a big performance. Yeah, I, I remember Oral Hershiser, a great pitcher for the Dodgers, pitched for the Cleveland Indians in the World Series, uh, set the record for most shutouts, um, uh, innings in a row, and uh, definitely a Cy Young Award winner. Uh, he told me 50 pitches the entire year dictated whether he was going to have a great year or a so-so year. 50 pitches the entire year uh, those are moment of truth pitches. And, and that's when you would just want to execute the basics, the fundamentals. Um, most of us want to play out of our mind in that state tournament finals. You know, I, I got I to gotta play great because we put our competition sometimes on a pedestal a little too high, uh, especially if we're thinking about their record or how they've beaten us in the past or who they just beat. I can't believe they beat that team. They're so good. Um, but the key is to hit a high standard, a minimum requirement for a satisfactory, solid performance according to you. So not great, not bad, just just a standard. And I, when you have the mindset, I'm just going to hit my standard, it does take a little pressure off of you in, in a positive way. Uh, but also when there is pressure of the event, that can grab your standard, and that can easily catapult you into a zone state. The zone will pull you into that state. So um, keep it simple. Um, have a plan. But there is an art in knowing how to peak at the right time and right place. Hey, we've got uh, some guests lined up here to be coached. Jim, uh, I gave him just kind of a vague here, here's what they are, uh, you know, uh, some vague arenas, right? Like we got somebody in sports, we got somebody in business, we got somebody who's kind of a little bit in both. That's as much as he knows going in. And we're just going to take this live. So this uh, today's show is about coaching. Uh, it's about being a coach. It's uh, uh, maybe even um, 
how to how to handle having a coach. You know, uh, we, we can talk about that when we're finished with these coaching. But right now, uh, I guess you're going to surprise me with some uh, some new guests coming onto the show. Right. Let's get fired up. I'm ready. Andrew Nielsen, welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. So glad to have you, my friend. Thank you very much. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Jim. How are you, sir? Uh, Andrew, I'm awesome. I hope you're awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, finding out what you'd like to accomplish, and and we can also talk about what are what challenges or objectives that uh, uh, you need to overcome uh, to meet meet whatever you want to accomplish. So, so what's on your mind? Sure. So, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, I, I I've been in sales for about ten years now. And I've been playing golf for about 10 years as well. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet Seth a couple of weeks back and had come off one of my best rounds literally ever uh, on the golf course, despite injuring myself. Um, you know, my, my confidence is high on the game right now. Of course, when I get back on the golf course, um, there's always that almost insecurity that I have sometimes when I step up to the ball, specifically with my irons. And that would kind of correlate to be, you know, kind of my issue with the sales world as well. Um, given my background, I've been playing golf for about 10 years and I've been in sales for about 10 years. Anytime you step into an opportunity, there's going to be that concern of, okay, did I do everything right? Did I prepare for this? Well, how is this going to go? How is that going to go? Those kind of uncertain variables still seem to get in my way. So I'm curious to know what your advice would be. And this might be a two pronged question. Um, what's one way that I can build up confidence, um, when I step up to the ball, I think I'm just such a racy thought kind of guy that um, when I get into any kind of pressurized situation, I almost let the, the psychology of it get the best of me. Any exercises you can think about and, and starting with the golf question, um, what's a good thing to just kind of remember when you step the ball? Uh, do you remember the golf course that you just had your best round on? Do you remember the course? Yeah, it was called Deer Path and in, uh, in Lake Forest. So tell me, uh, tell deer, me, deer. tell me about hole number one. Tell me the hole number one. Tell me what you're sure. going to do on hole number one. So hole number one is a pretty much just a straightaway narrow par four, probably about 370 yards. So nice and short. Um, driving is the best part of my game. So when I step up there, I, I you know, when I stepped up there. I had, had a great drive kind of, you know, left side of the, the fairway. Problem was I had about, I would say 70 hold, yards. Hold, hold, hold and, up. I, I don't. I don't want to hear about the problem. Uh, <laughs> I, and maybe you do have a challenge. Tell me how you're going to play the hole, as if you're going to play it perfectly. So, it's 370. <clears throat> you're going to hit a driver. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to hit the driver? Yep. I'm in dead center in this hole. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. Roughly, roughly all right. Stop. Stop there. So you're going to hit a driver, center cut, and now what are you going to hit into the green? I took out a 60-degree wedge because I usually hit my my 56 about 100 yards. All right, stop, stop, stop. At, at, no, no, that, that's too much info. The question was, what are you going to do, not why are you going to do what you're going to do? So you're going to hit a driver and a wedge. So you need to see the driver going center cut, stopping, and then I'm going to hit my 
wedge obviously depends on where the pin is, but let's put it center cut on the green to the size of a hula hoop. That's what that's what's going to happen. Yes? Yes, of course. Okay. I would do that, for, that. I would do that for every hole to see what you want, not why you want it. Don't qualify anything. Do a dress rehearsal and see exactly what you want. Now, when you get to the golf course, you want to keep your energy away from you. And I can tell from this conversation very briefly that you have a tendency to put energy back on you. And when energy is on you, it's almost like a commode backing up. That's not a good thing. That's that's not a positive thing at all. So the energy is coming back on you, and you start to qualify it. Well, I, I want to do this, and I shoulda, coulda, woulda, and you get into that mental trap. So once you are decisive, I'm hitting this driver to that hula hoop size target. At that point, as you walk to address the ball, it's like an on-deck circle where you can select the club, the shape, the target, and that's where we, we, we've been. We're in that on-deck circle. Now you have the driver in your hand, and you're going to take one step toward addressing the ball. As soon as that one step happens, <clears throat> the clock starts. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. You get up to the ball. You address it. 1,004, 1,005. You get your feet settled, 1,006. You take a look one more time at a hula hoop size target, 1,007, 1,008. You look back at your ball, and you let it fly. Now, that time... It's still John Daly's term. Rip it, rip it. Well, it is, and you want to have a quiet mind. You know how to hit a ball to that target. You've done it before. You know how to do it. You have a good enough swing. You've swung the club and produced the shot. Let's put the ball in the fairway. So if you shoot 70, that'd be a great score. You shoot 70, let's say you're 200 par, 70 times that walk from the on-deck circle into the so-called batter's box, there's no thoughts whatsoever. That's silent time. If you have any swing thoughts, if you have any doubts, you abort. You go back into the on-deck circle, take a practice swing, maybe have one swing thought, but then when you're ready to address the ball, 1,001, 1,002, That clock starts, and you have no thoughts whatsoever. The on-deck circles for planning, thinking, tactics, dry swing, practice swing, swing thought, check the wind, whatever you need to do, there's zero thought as you approach the ball and strike the ball. So it is a lot like John Daly, grip it and rip it. And most pros think too much during that time. So you're, you're not alone. I'm, I'm talking about 
the players that teed it up last weekend at the U.S. Open. Many of them had too oh many. Gosh. Many of them had too many thoughts. No doubt about it in my mind. Um, so, I think clear the mind. Get your breathing down to six to eight before you take that walk. Now, if you do this in eight seconds, that's your number. That means every drive, every seven iron, every putt is seven seconds. That walk to address the ball, pick your target, see the ball, hit the ball. Uh, So it's probably going to be somewhere between eight and 12 seconds. But you got to find your number. And that number is unique to you. And, you know, in our golf schools, we do that. We find out what your number is within one second. And it's almost like music. You know, music's not music without silence. Otherwise, it'd just be noise. There's silence between the drum. You know, I add silence. All of a sudden, the beat changes. So you want silence between every shot. And this is where you find that silence. There, there should be no future, no past. Your goal is to make the present last, be in the moment. And that's how you do it. So let's shift now. I like that. <clears throat> let's shift. Do you think that? You think you can do that? Absolutely. I'll have to, I'll have to take, take some practice tonight to figure out what my number is going to be. But I like that. I like that there's a range, 8 to 12 seconds. I can, I can work with that. Now, what, what I would do is I, I would go out on the range, and you, you can work on your game, but I would leave every practice uh, that you have, every time you go to the range, I would leave it playing three to six holes, literally, as if it's real, doing your full routine, making sure you're hitting your eight, ten seconds with no thought. Uh, one more tip. Uh the five-second rule, you're only as great as the five seconds after every shot. And during that five seconds, I would have no judgment. I wouldn't roll my eyes, blow my breath. Oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? You know, none of that, <laughs> which we've all done. And I would have my head up. Uh, I'd be mindless. And you only have one more thought, where is my next target? and then you walk to your next target. Let's keep it simple. Now, let's switch to golf. No, like we'll that. see if there's any parallels between what we just talked about in, in golf. And, and the, tell me the challenge in sales. And, and before we do that, I need to ask you a basic sales question. Once you have a customer that you've onboarded, they've purchased from you, do you stay with that customer or is that customer passed on to a customer service rep? Or, or, or is it cradle to grave with you? How do you do that in your sales organization? That's a great question. I, I stay with the customer. In my previous role, I stayed with a customer throughout every aspect of the project management. At this point, I, I would say that the more successful relationship you have, the more you'll be involved with the customer. Now, you can be completely disengaged from them. It would just be not in your good interest. So to answer your question... Yes, we stay with the customer from cradle to grave. Okay, so so you're really you're really not selling then. You're you're not selling. You're inspiring and motivating someone to improve their quality of their business or the quality of their life at a price that they can afford. 
So stop right. selling. Um, <laughs> the other thing, I would stop closing. The closing ratio creates stress, not only for you as the quote unquote air quote closer, but the closing mentality creates negative stress on the person buying. So stop closing. You're opening a relationship. You're a partner in improving their quality of business or their quality of life, B2B, uh, whatever type of of sales that you're in. So we've eliminated selling and we've eliminated closing. And, of course, those two words are probably brandished in every sales meeting on the planet. Right, right. It's why aren't, why aren't we closing more? Why aren't we selling more? Please sell something. But no, I, I, I like that. So the, the challenge I'm facing, if I, if I may dive into that, um, is, is twofold. There's two separate challenges. You know, obviously qualifying the leads is, is one area. Um, I've had a lot of people tell me re- lately that email is dead. And while you're, I, I'm new to the IT space as well, since a lot of my customers previous to this were more in marketing and things like that. So I'm not quite able to leverage the who I know as much as I used to be able to. And so I'm doing a lot of, of really cold outreach, picking up the phone and making 100 plus dials a day. I have some success with it, but in terms of getting a message out there via email, I'm curious to know, I'm not having a lot of luck with that, whether it's I'm writing too long of emails or I'm not being, I'm not asking a, a you know, exciting enough question. Um, are, are these cold that, that email said? Are these cold these emails? Are cold emails. Well, yes, they are. The Someone cold, who's never heard from me. In a lot of cases, you'll have been referred to somebody, but I there's a couple of things. First of all, most emails are too long. Uh, if I'm going to open an email from somebody oh. I don't know, which doesn't happen very often, uh, you probably have three seconds to six seconds to get me to stay longer. And a question that you may already know the answer, and maybe I don't, but you want me to think about my challenge. You want me to think about me. Uh, You want me to think about improving my quality of life or my quality of business. So I, I think we need to B to A. B means I want to know more, and I'm going to respond to your email. And I'm interested in improving my quality of life at a price that I can afford or quality of my business. So that's B. Uh, a is you don't know me and I don't know you. Uh, and that's, a, that's far away from B. And that, that's why the success rate is not great. It's, it's a long journey to get there, and you have three to six seconds to do that. What I would do is I would uh, ABC test several emails. So I'd take the same email to 20 people, uh, a different email to 20 more, and a different email to 20 more. I'd select 20 people, 20 people, 20 people, three different questions, three different emails, all three very short, uh, but all three wanting an action, either 
please allow me to contact you or respond back somehow. You want a response from them. And then I, I would test uh, my emails, and whichever one is the worst, I'm definitely abandoning that one. I'm not going to use that again. Right. And I'm going to use the, the best one, and then I'm going to test it again. I, I may take the same format, and maybe I tweak it again a little bit. I try another 60, uh, and, and I try to improve on it. And then you're going to narrow down to finding which one has the greatest batting average uh, for me to get a response. And that's how it go. I think you need to test this. It seems to me you're like you're kind of winging it, and, you know, it's a hope and a prayer. Right. Uh, plus, you already convinced yourself that this doesn't work because that's how you started the conversation. <laughs> well, this doesn't work, and I, my thought is, well, I guess you're right. <laughs> oh, touche, touche on that. So, so the second part of that question would be in asking those questions, the really, really concise, succinct question: Is it a yes or no question, or is it something that's going to elicit an open-ended response? Well, I, the open-ended response is definitely the best one. Again. Uh, it, it's not really the question or the answer. The, 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 the real challenge is I want a response. I'll take a, a yes or a no. Uh, I just want a response. And, of course, the quicker I can get to a no, the quicker I'll get to a yes. And um, right. uh, I, I think you need to get them to think about themselves and their future with your service or product or get them to think about the wound that they have, the challenge that they have. Put people in a hole, sell them a ladder. Love it. Yeah, that's great, too. I think that, you know, obviously email is not going to be a, a primary core of, of my sales efforts, but um, in, the, in the times, you know, late at night when you have, you know, when you have extra time to work on your business as opposed to in your business, as I like to say, uh, those are the times that I'll try and spend you know, I think building those plans out makes a lot of sense, though, and saying, all right, let's let's see what works and then reconstruct it from there as, as we move forward. So well, uh, let's go, let, kind of it and, and let, let's go back and uh, let's take a even deeper dive. You've got to go. Uh, do I need to talk about their challenge? Open up their wound, maybe put your finger in the wound. And then you sell them some salve and some bandages. Uh, and you show them how to heal. That, that's the same thing as put them in a hole, sell them a ladder. That's a classic way that's been done for decades. Um, and the other is just talk about hope and positivity and don't give them the wound. I test both of those. I mean, obviously, you need to know your audience. And this is a way for right. you to find out which, which of my approaches gets the higher batting average. And the ones that don't, you abandon it and don't go there again. You need to test this, uh, and that's my advice uh, on that. Now, you also, what's your plan? Okay, so I get a response of 10% from this particular email. Now what? How, how do I walk them down the pathway uh, of actually mentally utilizing my product? You're selling a product, correct? Yes, sir. Yep. Okay. You need to technology. You need to put that product in their hand and have them visualize 
using it to improve their quality of whatever they're doing. So if you're not doing that, uh, you haven't thought it out all the way through. So one is to get a response with an email. Two, I get a response. I have an interest. Now I need to get it in your hand psychologically. Once it's in my hand psychologically, uh, there's a greater chance that you're going to actually put it in my hand realistically. It goes back to that confidence thing of, of seeing the hula hoop, knowing what your target is, having a confident game plan and going through it. Yeah, and, and if you notice this conversation in golf and also in sales, it had nothing to do about you, did it? No. <laughs> it wasn't. And that's all I really want to talk about in the first place. Now I'm like, yeah, oh, wait. This is, it, yeah, I mean. It's all about taking your name off of it. Both of them, it's not about you. Once you start thinking about you, that creates internal stress, which is not going to get you into a zone state. That tenses you up, and that's transferred to the prospect or to a real client. And they can pick up even through an email that you're trying too hard. And definitely you you can see if you're trying too hard on the golf course because you're going to be in the rough. (laughs) You're going to be behind (laughs) the big oak tree. (laughs) Yes, I'm going to be taking large chunks of dirt out of the ground because I'm swinging too hard. Well, listen. I, I hope this helps. Um, I, I think playing, play, you know, playing golf. Uh, it's a game of adversity. Uh, I think sales is a game of adversity. You're trying to help someone with their uh, business or personal challenges, and you're trying to make it better. Uh, but what a fun game! Uh, adversity introduces you to yourself. <laughs> so I, I hope this helps you uh, get a few tidbits and few tips to get you into the zone give us some feedback oh, sure yeah let uh, let seth know uh, how you do we'll see if we Absolutely, can guys i'll be touching base with you in a couple of weeks then i'll let you know how, how i work on things i appreciate right. it stay in the zone a good friend of mine is the world's number one pickpocket number one pickpocket can you believe it i actually met him at a just for laughs uh comedy festival he has a pickpocket routine where he would uh, walk through the audience and when he'd make it up on stage, he would have picked six wallets, uh, sunglasses, uh, watches. I saw him take a guy's tie off in front of him. And, and then I also saw him on stage. He's talking to a guy who's wearing glasses. Bob Arno has no glasses. And so quickly... All of a sudden, Bob's wearing the guy's glasses, and the guy has no glasses, unaware that Bob is now wearing his glasses. He actually picked, not his pocket, he picked his face, which is amazing. But it started making me think, because I just got a uh, a new um, wallet. Uh, it's a company that's uh, Distill Union, uh, makes a wallet called a Wally Bifold. And the, the cool thing about this wallet, it's so small. And I've noticed that, that uh, you know, I always carry the wallet in my back pocket. Bob Arno goes, don't, don't do that. <laughs> you should carry it, Jim, in your front pocket. But the wallet that I've been carrying is too big to carry, too cumbersome in a front pocket.
But this new Wally bifold is uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's uh, it, it's their best selling uh, wallet. Uh, it, you can carry the same amount of credit cards and cash in a package half as thick as a traditional wallet. So out goes my traditional wallet. And the size also lets you carry it in your front pocket, which will make it tough on the world's number one pickpocket. He still may, might might be able to get to it. Uh, but it definitely is more safe and more secure. But this wallet, Seth, it's not only thinner, uh, which is pretty cool, uh, but like a lot of wallets that you put in 12 cards, it stretches and then you want to have only two cards, and now it's still stretched out. This wallet doesn't do that. It's pretty, pretty amazing. So it helps you organize uh, using two different pull-tab pockets. So, again, most leather wallets stretch out over time, and it, it, you've got to just keep putting stuff in there, uh, more and more cards. But they've got a feature in the Wally Bifold called a flex lock, so you're able to carry securely as few as one card or up to 12 uh, and back to two uh, without any stretching. So I highly recommend the Wally Bifold, uh, and I'm using mine right now in my front pocket. DistillUnion.com, that's D-I-S-T-I-L-U-N-I-O-N.com, dot com. DistillUnion.com. D-I-S-T-I-L-U-N-I-O-N dot com. And then enter the promo code FANNIN, F-A-N-N-I-N. DistillUnion.com, promo code F-A-N-N-I-N, FANNIN. And yes, you're going to get 15% off your first order. Make it a big one. Get the savings. 15% off your first order. I'm looking forward to you not losing your sunglasses and making sure Bob Arno cannot get to your wallet. Haley, welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. Uh, if uh, it's okay to go ahead and dive in, I, I just gave Jim a real quick backstory. So you were okay. an entrepreneur with a dream. You left your day job yep. six about six months ago, seven months ago. We're right in there. Uh, yeah, I quit on Christmas Day. <laughs> Wow. Well, Merry, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Right? Yep. And, you know, when I booked you for the show, you said you, you've got a pretty specific goal that you're driving towards. You, you have that element of your blueprint. You know what it is. Can you tell us what that is? Uh, yeah. So basically, uh, me and my business partner uh, wanted to, by the end of next year, early 2020, be making six figures. Um, the business be making six figures a year. So, uh, so that's uh, a net net profit. Uh, yes, that, that's profit, not revenue. Okay, okay. Uh, so, what's uh, tell me about the business real quickly? Uh, so, what we do, we do uh, brand strategy um, and design. Um, so, basically, um, when a brand comes to us, they maybe need a rebrand or they're going a different direction, something like that. Uh, we do all of the strategy for it, figure out who their target audience is, uh, the language that that target audience communicates in, and then we do all of the deliverables based on that. So we charge for the strategy session as well as all of the deliverables like a, a logo or advertisements, a website, packaging, whatever it might be. Uh, do you use any third parties? Uh, no, we don't. So, we do it all. So it's cradle to grave. Yep. 
basically uh, the only thing that we don't do, we don't run Facebook ads, but we'll create them. Okay. Uh, but that's, that's really about it. Okay. Um, so tell me a little bit about your prospects, your current clients. How many current clients do you have? Uh, right now we've got two that we're working with. All right. So you have two clients and have they been with you for the six months or uh, is one or two, uh, both of them uh, relatively new? Uh, they, they've both been with us since January. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you a few more questions. Do you have a well-defined, written, for your for your eyes only, you and your partner, onboarding plan? We do. Okay. Um, and have you used both of those, uh, have you used that onboarding plan for each of these clients? We have not. We had an onboarding plan that was a little different when we got those two clients. And then when we got those, we kind of learned um, a lot in that process. And they're kind of the the type of clients that we don't want to work with going forward. So we kind of changed a lot as far as that goes. So we could really like narrow down um, who we want to work with. So we, we do have like an onboarding system, but it's different now. Um. Do you have happy clients? We do. Uh, Have they given you a written testimonial and or video testimonial? Uh, One of them has. uh, The other one has not. We're finishing up their stuff probably this week. So uh, we we usually tend to ask after we finish the workup. Okay. When you're finished, what is your after program? So... I, I've rebranded myself. I've got new logo. Uh, I've got some ads, internet. I've got my social media messaging all intact. And, and all of a sudden I, my sales have increased. Thank you so much, Haley. Um, how often do you plan on staying in contact with this customer? Do you have a plan uh, for that? We usually, we try to stay in contact about every three months um, just to make sure that everything's going well. Uh, we we try not to like nickel and dime people because really, you know, if I do a logo, it should be able to last 15, 20 years. So if I'm doing my job like I should be, um, you know, we, we check in with them, make sure that everything's working as it should, um, make sure that they don't have any issues, whether that's like an issue with the website or, you know, something like that. So uh, we try to check in every, every two to three months. Uh, I think that's too long. Okay. Uh, I, I, I would check in monthly uh, and you, right. you, you could do uh, these two clients, although you may not want them as your model clients going forward, these are still your clients. And right. your success uh, is definitely tied to their success. So if they're making money, you're going to get a lot of the credit. If they're not making money, well, you're not going to get any credit. Um, right. So when you stay in touch with them, you're not trying to upsell them or resell them. It's how are you doing? How are your sales? Um uh, what are your successes? So you want to ask constantly for feedback. 
How did this work out for you? How did that work out? What's your uh, return uh, on investment in Facebook? You know, that's a direct correlation to the brand and, and how you've helped them uh, recreate that brand. The other thing you might want to do is, is a marketing newsletter uh, to keep giving. Keep giving to those two clients. And then you can also use that marketing uh, newsletter as a marketing tool for yourself. So it, you're, okay. it's give, give, give. And then they may have another project uh, okay. of a new product, new service, and they'll say, hey, can you come back and help us brand that within the main brand? And I think that's where you might find some more work. But there's no question you're going to get uh, a referral business. So you've rebranded yourself, haven't you? A little, yeah. <laughs> we have. And and what is that rebranding? Could you summarize it in 30 seconds or less? Uh, basically, yeah. So we, um, I decided to kind of take like an investment in myself. Uh, and a, a Facebook group that I'm a part of does a course on how to find like your ideal clients and how to... Uh, to really nail that down. And so I, I decided to do that, and that's kind of rewired the way that we think about how we brand ourselves as well. Um, we have no issue branding other people, but it's, it's kind of a common thing that branding agencies and marketing agencies usually don't know how to brand and market themselves. They well, the, co the, the cobbler, so. yeah, the cobbler's kids have no shoes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, how's so, that how's that possible? They have no shoes. Right. So uh, um, I I understand that. What what is your I we're gonna back into this six figures. And okay. why did you pick six figures? We we just kind of felt like that was a, a good milestone for us to hit um you know, within two years. Um I feel like it's pretty attainable. So um, so it that, wasn't like, you know, we want to make a billion dollars in a year or something like that crazy. Um, but we felt like it was pretty attainable with the, the work that we do and what we can charge for it and stuff. So. Um, let, let me ask you a, a battery of questions and you don't need okay. to give me an answer, but I think you and your partner uh, should ask these questions uh, unto yourselves. What's your marge, profit margin? It sounds like it's labor intensive, so it's the, only the two of you. How many clients do we need before we have to hire some help? Four clients, six clients. What's your average hour spent per client? And are you one and done in your business, or are you staying with the life of that client, their business. So, you know, again, you can rebrand the whole, but you also have an opportunity to rebrand some of the parts. They, right. could, be, they could be a little bit different, a little different niche, different packaging. Um, it's a little different brand. Um, have you gone through that exercise with your partner? Uh, we have not. We we really know uh, what our like what we need to survive personally, 
um, and then what all of the business expenses are. And then we usually uh, price work out according to that. Okay. So, are, are, are you surviving? Okay. Yes. Okay. So you have two clients that you are surviving. Uh, but have you placed yourself uh, in a situation where those two clients have a very short shelf life? Uh, we have, unfortunately. Okay. I, no, I, I think uh, possibly you could dig an extra income stream by uh, a follow-up program where for very inexpensive monthly fee, uh, you, you go in and check their brand. You know, you could give someone branding strategy, branding tools, new logo, blah, blah, blah. And then six months later, you can go online, look at their website and go, wow, what happened to our brand? You know, yeah. where, where their messaging is off, their emails are off because you want to be checking every single thing they do carries that brand. Every email, are the emails framed? Do the emails have the logo? Little tiny things. Do, do the emails have uh, return information on how to contact us? And, and and then part of the branding is how are they going to stay with their clients and their customers? I, I think uh, the first thing I would do is how can I keep these two clients that I have right now longer? Okay. And and that, that may be a, a, a profit margin that could be pretty high for both of you, but you've now got some continuity. It's not one and done. If you get into the one and done business, you're going to need volume. Then you're going to get into the pitfall of uh, ramping up. Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't know what's happening, but I have 10 clients and I need help. Then you ramp up with help, and then you wake up one day and you have three clients. Yeah. Because they're done. Now you're sitting there with a bigger payroll. So come up with a continuity program. Uh, we can help the rebranding in 90 days, 90-day branding. And uh, we will maintain, help you maintain that brand and continue to upgrade the brand based on your clients, based on your new services, new products, uh, with some type of continuity, five hundred a month, seven fifty a month. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's an hour a month with one of the two partners, you and your your other partner, uh, that you'll do a consultation. So for that extra uh, fee, we'll go through everything that you send out A to Z, and we'll come back and and tell you you're on you're on target or. Here's a okay. couple of suggestions. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. That that actually kind of falls in line with something that we, we had talked about getting into. My business partner has done it before um, in some areas that he works, but uh, part of brand strategy is just making sure that all of the employees that that company may have are kind of in line with it too. Um, and he had kind of thought about doing where you actually go and, and talk to their employees and kind of, I don't want to say train them, um, but make sure that everything that they're doing and the language that they're using, whether it's like customer service or on their social media or whatever, is still in line with everything that we've done on the brand strategy side. 
Well, I think uh, we don't really I, I know how to position that. I think that's a great idea, and uh, that's going to help build this continuity program because, you know, you can spend a lot of money in advertising, and your employees will kill you. You know, that, yeah, that, exactly. you, you, you're only as good as what your team members are thinking and doing when you're not there. I've said this to so many owners. Um, one of the things, just to give you another little tidbit, um, can you give me a 30-second elevator pitch? You and I are on an elevator. We're both getting okay. on uh, at, at floor number 40. We're both going all the way down to the main floor and then see you later. And I go, oh, hi, hi. Oh, hi. how are you? Oh, Haley. Oh, nice meeting you. So what do you, what do, you do, Haley? Just a 30-second, what do I do? Yeah, give me your elevator speech. We're, we're heading down now, so you better get started. What do you do? What, okay. do you do? what do you do for a living? I am the owner of Thrill. We do brand strategy and internal communications for small to medium-sized businesses. Make sure everything that they have is consistent and working like it should and that they're making money. Okay, and all right, and now we're down on the main floor and – Goodbye, I'll talk to you later. So I'm thinking, huh, brand strategy. Uh, let's go back up to the 40th floor. What could okay. you have said differently that make me go, do you mind if I talk to you? Could I buy you a cup of coffee? I, I'm interested in what you do. How are you going to get me interested in 30 seconds? You're probably going to talk about my clients. So in your in your elevator pitch you could be talking about a service clients product clients weave the client okay. into the elevator pitch go so what do you do uh, for a living <laughs> uh what i do is i make sure that my client uh customers are happy and that my clients are making money uh, too broad. I don't, I have no too clue. Broad. Yeah. See you later. I'm getting off on floor 10. I don't want to talk to you okay. anymore. So what do you do for a living? What's the essence of what you do? You position. Really, think <laughs> okay. But you put, you help position companies okay. in the marketplace to influence their customers or clients to improve their quality of life or business at a price that they can afford. Okay. Does that sound like something? Yeah, you, that you, sounds a, a lot better than what I said. <laughs> yeah, and, and so what you're doing, you're, you're getting me in this elevator pitch to think about my clients. Oh, yeah, I, I need to. Because most people are thinking about making money, closing right. deals, making a hundred grand, and they're forgetting the one element that's going to make all that happen: the customer and the client. Now, one of the things that you could do is take this little exercise we did, and as an add-on, train your clients on a thirty-second elevator pitch. So with the leadership okay. team, you come up with an elevator pitch, and now they need to go back and in, to ensure that from the receptionist 
to the cashier, to to the senior CE, to the CEO or the chairman. Everyone knows the elevator pitch. I helped a company uh, go from 150 million in assets to a billion five in five years, 60 months, uh, with record return on assets, 1.8 return on assets. So they really blew the doors off success. And it was a bank. And the way they did that, they had an elevator pitch, a mission statement, if you will, that they had every team member memorize and could state it in a social context, cocktail party. And so the chairman and the CEO of the company walked around with uh, cash, $50 bill, $100 bill, $20 bill, and they'd walk up to an employee. They'd be in a meeting and say, "Um, for 50 bucks, anybody know the elevator pitch? And, you know, everybody that knew it would raise their hand. They'd call on somebody that didn't raise their hand. 50 bucks, what's the elevator pitch? Uh, You know, they'd fumble. And if they didn't get it perfectly, they'd put the money back in their pocket. Well, they only needed to do that a few times. Bottom line, it didn't take long that everybody knew what they did for a living. Everybody's on the same page. I think we found a new income stream for you. uh, And I like your idea of training the employees, making the employees part of the brand. And they are. Yeah, they have to be. And and that's something that we kind of stumbled across in doing this, too, is if, you know, on, let's say, Twitter, if a brand's like they're really happy and excited and energetic and then you call their customer service and they're like, eh, it, it kind of ruins the, like, the illusion of the brand. So uh, we really wanted to, to figure out if there was a way to fix that. Well, you know, they, there is training out there. Uh, there are companies that are training people on how to answer the phone. It's a great day at Jim Fannin Brands. May I help you? My name's Kelly, whatever. Uh, so how, yeah. how you answer that phone, uh, you're the first line of uh, communication in the company. And I think you could provide that service uh, to your uh, uh, branding efforts. So let, let's kind of summarize where we are. Uh, you've got two clients that unfortunately have a short shelf life. You decided you don't want those kind of clients anymore. However, I think they're salvageable, and I think they've been with you. They gave you a chance. I think you go with them and create uh, a uh, relatively inexpensive uh, follow-up program where they're going to say yes. Uh, okay. And, and maybe it's a six-month or a one-year uh continuity monthly fee. Uh, I'd get them to say yes. So that means you you need to price it well. If they don't take you up on that, I would still follow up with them on a monthly basis. Uh, They're they're going to, uh, uh, you want to keep your brand in their mind. They're your initial customers. And, um, And then I would look at my new model what uh, what's my point of pain? Where you know it, it's not just you and I partnership. We we need employees. What is that point? And I would do a cash flow projection for the next two years at least. Twenty four okay. month, not a projection, cash flow projection. This is how much cash we got in the bank? Here's what we're, we're anticipating bringing in. 
I'd be conservative on how many clients we're going to get. And then I would really get serious about your brand and how quickly can you convince somebody uh, to have further conversation with you on how you can help them. That elevator pitch for you, I think, is crucial. That's part of the branding. If you're not branding yourself, how are you going to brand me? And I I actually went to a branding company. This is probably 10 years ago. And I looked at their website and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm out of here. (laughs) You know, it's it's like, you know, if they they can't message for themselves, how are they going to help me? I see that all the time. All the time. I see. I actually saw a web developer the other day. His website was terrible. And when I went to click the link from his Facebook page, it took me to like a spam page, like one of the free gift card, you know, fan pages and I was like, dude, fix your website. Like, <laughs> yeah, check please. <laughs> yeah. Well listen, Haley, any any more questions? Uh not that I can think of right off. Well, I hope I hope this helped you, and um, yeah, definitely, hundred percent. And get in the zone. You and your partner together should be times ten more than apart. And um, I I think if you'll flesh this out just a little bit more, and have your clients clients in mind, uh, you're going to be successful. And I I can envision you uh, uh, both having a hundred thousand dollar profit in your pocket uh i think i would double it really absolutely there's no rules to success (laughs) well that well that there's only one rule to success there are no rules that's the rule true so uh i i was curious at the outset why you picked a hundred grand my first thought is huh that's divided by two so are you going to work a year for 50 grand profit why would you do that? Right. I, th- I think you've got a winner here. I think a lot of people uh, are in need of branding, rebranding, uh, and then uh, sub-branding. Uh, they're different products, different services. And um, I think that's something that uh, you could become the foremost expert at. I'm envisioning a hundred grand each uh, by the end of... 1231 19 uh uncle sam's got you with 100 grand uh pay your taxes so um. <laughs> do that yeah definitely <laughs> well haley thanks a lot for being on the jim fannin show and stay in the zone it's the only place to be see you guys so luke you're a hockey player only been about three years and you yep. uh you want to go somewhere with this thing can you tell us about that I do. I want to, if I can, I want I want to make it all the way up to the NHL. That'd be my dream. Uh, so, how old are you? I'm 16. 16. Uh, playing junior hockey. Uh, yes, for a high school. Yeah. Um, are you playing in the summer? Um, no, but I will be going to camps, and I will be doing some conditioning too. Okay. Uh, so what are your strengths? What do you do well? Uh, some of the best things I'm good at. Um, I have, I have good speed. I could pick off passes. So Luke, tell me what you do well. What makes you a a, a great hockey player or at least a good hockey player? What do you do well? Okay. Um, I have good speed and I feel like I can make plays that other kids can't. 
uh, because of the speed. And and yeah. does that mean and that? And also, uh, I can uh, let, let me let's uh, let's frame that. Um, does that mean that um, you can get to the puck quicker, or you you can move with the puck quicker and faster, or both? Uh, pro- probably both. Okay. Uh, when you think of speed, did you see yourself? Uh, as an offensive player, or did you see yourself as a defender? Uh, mostly offensive, but I do use my speed on the defensive end too. Okay. Um, what else do you do well? Um, I have. I feel like I could see more plays before they happen than other kids, um, and I could stick handle pretty well too. Well, that's just a get around good. other other kids. Uh, so. You can see the spacing. You can see the openings on the ice. Um, you can see one, two shots ahead. Yes? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about scoring goals. Um, you're on the left side of the net. You're in front of the, um, of the goal. So you're on the right side looking through your eyes. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's time for the slap shot. Tell me about your target. Uh, I usually try to go, uh, high glove side. And how small is that target? Um, it can, well, my two, my two favorite options are high glove or FIFO. Um, it depends what I've seen earlier in the game from the goalie. Uh, if I see that he's slow on his glove, then I usually shoot there. Or um, if he's slow getting down, I usually aim for the five hole. Um, and and so your target, would it be the size of a dime? Uh, I, I, would, I don't think so, no. Let, let's do this. I want you to narrow your focus in practice – with no one there, no defender, no goalie, and I want you to start aiming for a dime-sized targets. Okay. And and I, I want you to aim for the four corners of the goal. Okay? So you can be on the right side. You're still going to aim for the four corners. You could be in the middle, aim for the four corners. You're on the left uh, side of, of the goal, and you're aiming for the four corners. And I want you to breathe at release. As soon as you make contact with the puck and you're following through, you heard that? It's like you're blowing out a candle. That's going to give you more speed. That's going to give you more accuracy. And in certain situations, you're going to need very finite accuracy uh, because some goalies are covering everything and they seem that you can't penetrate at all. The smaller the target, the more you'll narrow your focus. This will also fall into slowing things down, which it sounds like you're already doing. and, and, And I think that's phenomenal. The person that can slow the game down 
sees passing lanes, sees the target more clearly. And even though all craziness is happening on the ice, bodies are flying, people are crazy in the stands, mom and dad are nuts, you know, er, know, everybody's crazy. Uh, But you want to have the ability to slow it down. Uh, You definitely were a mouth guard, yes? Yep. Uh, I would still learn to have my jaw unhinged as soon as you hit the slap shot. And um, uh, keeping your jaw slightly unhinged while you keep the mouth guard in, uh, that's going to give you more touch, more feel, more accuracy, and uh, it'll be uncanny how accurate you're going to be. Also, when you start narrowing your focus on what you want on the ice, it's going to help you narrow your focus in everything on the ice. Let's talk about when it's not you're not on the ice and there's a sh- your shift is uh, sitting down. What do you think when you sit down? Um, I'm trying to go through my last shift. Uh, just trying to figure out what I did wrong. Uh, and like, I, if I see an opportunity that I missed, um, I try to go through it and um, see what I could do the next time to fix it. Uh, okay. I, I would abandon that. We can okay. get to the same results by just taking a little mental shift. Uh, as soon as you leave the ice, I would unhinge your jaw and I would turn my mind absolutely off reboot your brain doesn't matter how bad you were doesn't matter if you just scored uh two goals on your shift it doesn't matter turn your brain off and just relax you want to relax and you want to build energy back up i would allow my intuition at that point if you can clear your mind when you clear it your intuition will tell you the opportunities that your next shift is going to present. You don't have to go through it. I would definitely not evaluate uh, when I'm not on the ice. I, I wouldn't go through it. You're going to be replaying what you did wrong, which is not going to help you right the ship. So I, I would leave the ice, clear my mind, 30 seconds or, or less, and Unhinge your jaw, relax your tongue, get your breathing down because you've been skating. So your breathing's probably going to be elevated, heart rate elevated. Learn how to get as calm as quickly as possible. Now you're going to surrender to your subconscious. And that's got real-time information that conscious minds don't possess. Now, you know when you're getting ready to go back on the ice, correct? And then you can start building up, narrowing your focus, gathering your energy. And then when you get back on the ice, it's not about you at all. You're sending your energy down the ice to the, to the offensive player, uh, to the dime-sized target. And I would do it as if the goalie's not even there. I'm shooting for dimes. I don't care about the goalie. I'm sending energy through that dime, uh, and that energy, uh, goalies can feel that energy uh, as you're coming down the ice. They can feel it. 
That'll cause the goalie to tense up. The goalie tenses up. He's not as quick. He's, his balance is not as sure. And he'll pick up that vibe and make a mistake. And boom, you're right there to take advantage of it. Does that make sense? Yep. When you're done, then I would go home. I would evaluate. Then at night, in the last 30 minutes before sleep, whatever you did well, I would visualize in my mind. And whatever you would like to fix, I would see it finished in complete state. I would definitely not go to bed seeing a negative shot or a negative play or any mistake that I may have made. I would see, I, I'd replay it, do it over, but do it correctly. Um, what is your next career move, if you will? You're 16. Uh, you going to play college hockey or are you going straight to the NHL? What, what's the deal? Uh, I would like to play college. Um, yeah, I don't think you can go straight from high school to the NHL. So uh, I think that would be I, the best I, option. I, I don't. I don't think you can. And um, so, if there's a college that you would love to play for, what's that college? Um, I would say Michigan State. I'm going to a camp this year, and I think it's it's close enough to where I live, and it just seems like a good school. Uh, they've got a good hockey program, I believe. Yep. Um, all right. So you're, is this a Michigan State camp or just a camp near Michigan State? Uh, it's at Michigan State. Well, that's a positive. Um, well, I, I would start visualizing uh, you playing hockey at Michigan State. Uh, you being all conference, all Big Ten, um, all American, and see it as if it's so. And and then the other thing I I, I like about uh, what I've heard from you, um, are you a winner? Yeah. Do you make your teammates better? Yes, sir. How how do you do that? Um, I try to I try to help them out as much as I can. Um, I watch, uh, I see what's going on on the ice when they're there, and I try to um, congratulate them when they have uh, made a good play. Um, and I try to help them um, when they made um, like a bad pass or just something like that. And I just say, um, yeah, I just try to help them. There, there's three parts to uh, performance. There's the time. Before uh, the game begins, and everybody has the same amount of time, pre-performance time, there's the time of the game, literally, you know, to the second, that everybody has the same amount of time, and you either make adjustments or you don't, and then there's the time after, where one can evaluate objectively and someone else doesn't evaluate at all, they're emotional, if 10 is a high, the highest score you could give yourself in pre-performance, that means I am the best prepared person on the ice. How would you rate your overall preparation? What number would you give yourself? 
Um, I would say about seven or eight. What do you need to do to give yourself a 10? Um, I would say just try to visualize the game more. Um, Try to focus on what to do. Okay. Um, I like that. So uh, task visualization where you're actually executing one uh, play situational where you're actually going up against someone that you know you're going to be matched up with, um, um, that type of visualization. During the performance, you either make adjustments swiftly um, between shifts or during your shift. Um, Rate your performance time in terms of sending energy, staying in a zone state, not thinking negatively at all about you or your team members. Rate your performance on a 1 to 10 overall. Uh, I think about a 5. Um, I do tend to think uh, poorly of what I have done like the previous shift. Okay. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, just, I, I don't know. I, it bothers me throughout the game. Uh, well, it bothers you throughout the game. That means you're carrying that negative energy on the ice. That's not going to make you faster. That's going to actually, uh, and you still may be fast, but my goodness, if you drop that, you're going to be even faster. Now, now your strength of speed is going to be a formidable weapon, but you need to drop that negative and, and uh, you need to stop the replay. I wouldn't replay one thing unless you do something amazing you could shut your eyes and do a flash image of seeing it positive but i wouldn't see one thing in a negative and i definitely wouldn't replay it save the evaluation to the very end then you evaluate objectively so let's go to the end when the game is over everybody has the same amount of time to evaluate or not before the next game rate your evaluation on a one to ten uh, I would say seven around there. Um, if I feel like I have done something bad in the game, um, I try to work on that throughout the week um, and just make sure I don't make that mistake the next game. Yeah, so you're coming, you're coming at these mistakes uh, from a pers- mistake pr- uh, perspective. And uh, so let, let's summarize. Pre-performance, you're going to start visualizing what you want, seeing it as if it's so. Flash imagery. During the performance, you're going to be mindless when you're sitting off the ice. Mindless. Just, Just chill out. Clear your mind. No thought. Trust your intuition. If you do have any thoughts, make it something positive that you want. But I would have the least amount of thoughts. That's going to give you more mental energy, more physical energy. And then evaluation, walk through your performance. How was my pre-performance? How was the first part of my performance? How was the middle of my – I'd break my performance into three uh, segments. How did I open? How did I – do the middle of my performance, and how did I close at the end of the game? 
and just give yourself an evaluation. And then part of that evaluation is making up your mind, this is what I'm going to do in a positive way the next performance. You, you want to keep getting better and better. Dwell on what you want as opposed to what you don't want. I hope this helps you, and I, I, I can't wait. I, I'm looking forward to uh, going to a Blackhawks uh, game, and you're on the ice. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. So who's your favorite uh, NHL team? Oh, Hawks. And, and your favorite player? Um, I don't know right now. It used to be Marion Hosta, but he retired, so I don't know. And, and uh, were you glad the who were you rooting for in the in the finals? Were you rooting for uh, Vegas or uh, uh, were you for Washington? I was going for the Capitals. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah that was great to see them finally win. So that's awesome. And uh, I think Vegas, uh, what a year they had. That's an understatement. Well, listen, best of luck oh, to you, and uh, uh, thanks for listening to the Jim Fannin Show. And get in the zone. It's the only place on the ice to be, that's for sure. Thanks a lot for calling in. All right, thanks, Luke. All right, thank you very much. This was The Real Deal. Uh, Jim had a general idea of topics, and if you are in need of coaching, if you want to get over that big hurdle, because we've got tens of thousands of people listening so you're not going to be exactly like any one of these calls, right? Uh, but you've got your own well-defined aspirations and you need to get over whatever that thing is. One hour coaching can be the thing that gets you up over the hill. You just heard it right now. Let's make 2018 your best year ever. You can book that at jimfannin.com. That's J-I-M-F-A-N-N-I-N.com. Check out the section, the section that says, let Jim change your life. And uh, you you also have a lot of fun with these. Well, I yeah, I love the challenge. Uh, I like the unknown. Uh, they were three diverse uh, calls. Uh, there were some similarities in all three. And um, I, I've been asked, you know, how, how do I coach so many different people? And I got to go back to the score system. The score system really is the common denominator. I'm swiftly assessing the self-discipline of the caller, uh, the concentration, what are they concentrating on, what are they focusing on, positive, negatives, future, past. Uh, You can tell who's confident, who wasn't, and then if I push a little bit more, that may unravel uh, even more lack of confidence. Um, And then I can tell who's relaxed, who's comfortable, and definitely who's uh, enjoying the process. Uh, So, the prospect, the customer, the client, if you're coaching, you're in sales, uh, all your energy needs to go there. I think the greatest symbol in the world is the question mark. It's a symbol used every day by every person on this planet. How are you? There's the question mark. Uh, we had one of the callers said, I'm awesome. Uh, another caller said, I'm good. Um, of course, it's my recommendation that that if that question mark is posed to you, that we'll all upgrade your hello, uh, I'm awesome, or I'm two levels above awesome. But the common denominator in all my coaching is the score system. You have a higher low level at any given time uh, of self-discipline, the commitment, the willingness to stay with the task, 
to reach well-defined goals, strategy, tactics, uh, that fluctuates, unfortunately, for all of us. Uh, you have a higher low level of concentration. That can be easily broken, easily disturbed. Um, that's focusing energy on the task at hand that leads to those objectives. And you have a higher low level of optimism. That governs your confidence, your self-esteem, whether you trust that you, what you have is enough. And we know that fluctuates. I mean, a dirty look can put you in a low optimism level. A text, an email, or your PL statement. Oh, my goodness. Are you serious? Wow. I thought we did much better than that as my optimum level plummets at the side of my uh, 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 fledgling sales that I thought would be higher. And we all have a higher level of relaxation and enjoyment. And all five of those markers uh, form an acronym SCORE. They all trigger chemicals. And, uh, and there are some performers, Seth, that get all five of these balanced at the same time and at the right time. And I think we go right into who's in the zone, who balanced all of these. And I can still hear the call. Uh, I can hear it right now. In fact, that call was so loud, it created a mini earthquake uh, <laughs> in Mexico. Uh, when Mexico... Uh, defeated Germany, the defending World Cup champions. I mean, that sent seismic uh, shockwaves throughout the entire soccer world. Uh, but literally, I, I guess it uh, the sensors, two of its sensors inside Mexico City detected a seismic movement during that World Cup match. Uh, most likely produced by this massive celebration. Everybody jumps out of their seats at the same time, and you get tens of thousands of people doing that. And, uh, uh, or, or millions of people. <laughs> millions of people uh, doing that. Viva Mexico. Uh, that What a great one-to-nothing win. Uh, I watched that game, and that was tense. That was so tense. But uh, it, it was great to see uh, Mexico pull that off. Pretty amazing. And let's, let's root for our neighbor, our awesome neighbor, Mexico. No kidding. They, they've definitely got momentum here. And they've got a coach that after they scored, it would be easy for the players to lose their minds and prematurely be celebrating, right? And I think that one of the keys to that game was their coach kind of calmed them back down and brought them back to center. You're only as good as the five seconds right after after the goal, right? Well, and, and he also has them play for the love of winning, not the fear of losing. Uh, being on the big stage at a World Cup, I've coached two players uh, in the World Cup uh, competition. It's To say it's intense is an understatement. Uh, England eked by uh, their match. Uh, it was tense in England. And how about Iceland? Uh, a 1-1 tie. Little tiny Iceland. Here we are, the United States of America. Hundreds of millions of people. We're not even in the World Cup. Not in the zone, and Iceland is in the zone uh, with that 1-1 tie. So uh, I'm looking forward to more World Cup zone performances. Mexico, you're in the zone. Can we jump over to baseball and talk about this 10-0 and streak? Uh, I, I can't, I'm trying to think of another time I've even seen this in the last uh, couple of years. The Houston Astros went 10-0 and on the road. Uh, they played Texas. Oakland and Kansas City 
and they won every single one of those games. Uh, I personally haven't seen this for quite some time. So well, this is a special performance. Well, their offense has been um, on fire. Uh, we had Dave Hudgens uh, on our show, uh, I believe last year. Was Dave on our show last year? Yeah. The, yeah. And uh, the hitting coach, of course, he's trying to get his uh, hitters to mo- keep moving the line, keep the energy flowing. And that's one of the things that uh, is exciting about the Astros. They keep the energy flowing, and you can feel it. And that energy, that collective energy, uh, one hitter at a time, really puts pressure on the pitcher, puts pressure on the defense, and uh, that's when mistakes are made. So uh, what a zone run. Uh, Hats off, Houston, you're in the zone. Let's hop over to golf here. U.S. Open, of course, we did the episode on it last week. Brooks Kopka wins, but there's a deeper story than that when it comes to finding the zone. He uh, had suffered a, a wrist injury earlier in the year. I mean, if you're in golf, that's uh, that's much di- more difficult to deal with than if you're in soccer, right? Yeah. And, man, this guy kept a good poker face. Apparently, he said he had a, a rib basically pop out. He had a rib injury that he was dealing with during this tournament, and yet he found the zone. He did it. He won. Well, beware of the sick. Beware of the injured. Uh, So many athletes have had their best performance. We can go back to Michael Jordan when he had the flu against Utah or he had food poison. There's a little discrepancy on really what was ailing him. Uh, And he comes out and gets in the zone, plays out of his mind. Beware of the sick. Beware of the injured. When you have an injury or when you have an illness, uh, you're going to have energy going to that illness or that energy. Uh, your body is on alert to repair or fix or alter that negative state that you're in. That can help you not overthink getting ready to defend. I think defending anything is a mistake mentally because it's defending just the thought of defending. It's like in tennis. I need to hold serve. I need to hold serve. I need to take serve, not hold serve. It's already putting you in a negative mindset. It's putting me in a negative mindset. I I think uh, coming to an event that you won the year before, even though it's going to be on a different course, different circumstances, different venue, everybody's going to be asking you questions about what happened last year, How are you preparing this year? But this year for Brooks, it was different. Those questions didn't matter. He was focused on getting well. And I think by focusing on getting well, it kept his mind out of being in the past and out of the future. He was healing one second at a time, one minute at a time. And I think those injuries actually helped him win back-to-back U.S. Opens. Uh, you probably never thought you'd hear me say that. Uh, but beware of the sick, beware of the injured. That'll cause you, when the event happens, uh, all hands on deck. I've got an injury. You start to narrow your focus even more so. And uh, he was definitely in a zone state. He looked confident. He walked uh, up to the ball, addressed the ball confidently. He walked between shots with confidence, and you just had that feeling that nothing would go wrong. And uh, it would be hard to believe that he had an injury 
the way that he looked and the way that he actually performed. And of course, we are the most positive show on the planet. So we got to look at some of those really good stories that uh, you may not be getting from other outlets. The first one here is we talk about being, you know, as great as you are the five seconds after greatness. Check this out. Uh, The Minnesota uh, high school baseball tournament. We're talking about going into the state championships. Senior pitcher named Ty Cohen uh, winds up striking out the batter and his team rushes him. And uh, because he won, right? I mean, he threw that pitch. He was in his own state. He kind of clears out his teammate, runs over and hugs the batter. Turns out is one of his best friends from growing up. Uh, and I uh, just said, you know, this, this isn't your final game. You didn't hit the ball this time, uh, but you are so much more, I mean, you know, in so many words, he said, you're so much more than a baseball player. You know, that, that says friendship uh, overcomes everything. Friends are friends. The, the quote that he said was, you had a great season. This is telling the guy that just struck out losing the game, the last out. I mean, that's a, that's a defeating moment, no question about it. But he said to him in private, you had a great season, you're a great player, and don't let this situation, don't let this outcome affect our friendship. And then he said, I love you, you're my brother, and our friendship will always last stronger than this silly game. Wow. What an emotional time, and what a true champion. You know, you're more than a pitcher. This guy's a great friend. Um, I like that. I like this story. It makes me smile. makes me feel good. Uh, it's a double zone story, really. Championship team and uh, a championship friend. And Oddly similar to, believe it or not, the MTV Movie Awards uh, from last night. Chadwick Boseman actually wound up winning an award for Black Panther, you know, a movie that made $1.3 billion. And counting. And counting. And he brought uh, a, a true American hero with him. Uh, the the guy that stopped the Waffle House shooting, which I'm, I'm going to go ahead and grab his name here just because I can't find it right now. Uh, but Chadwick brought him up on stage and basically said, "You're not just like, hey, I'm acknowledging you for being a hero. You're taking this trophy home with you. This is yours. That's, well, can you imagine that trophy is going to be in that guy's living room for the rest of his life or in a safe somewhere? Uh, Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Uh, What a great gift of humanity uh, to not only give a guy a shout out, but to give something away that means something uh, to him. Uh, to give that to a stranger because of a great humanitarian deed, wow, you're in the zone. Yeah. What a zone moment. James Shaw from uh, you know from that Waffle House, uh, what, what could have been a, a massacre, loss of human life, stopped it literally with his bare hands, and we're so uh, grateful that he was able to be recognized last night. And let's hit on two more pieces of uh, good news, and these actually both have to do with uh, kind of the earth being in the zone, if you will. Uh, Jaguars, which are one of the most beautiful creatures in North and South America, um, they're back. Uh, that's one of those species that could have been, uh, you know, gone. We never saw them again. They're back. And as long as we're kind of talking about that ecosystem, uh, Brazil is actually planting uh, hundreds, uh, well, not hundreds, <laughs> thousands. Brazil's uh, committed to planting 73 million trees over the next seven years. And those two things kind of go together. 
uh, the ecosystem and the species coming back. Uh, so- I mean, I mean, think about well, and the jaguar flourishes in the in the Amazon rainforest. Um, nothing great happens without a blueprint. You know, the Earth has its own blueprint. Uh, humans have disrupted that blueprint uh, by crowding the jaguar out, uh, by cutting down the rainforest. Humans now create a blueprint on reversing that. That's pretty amazing. So uh, kudos to uh, everyone that had any involvement in not only designing that blueprint for the Jaguar, the blueprint for reforestation. Uh, That's just amazing. Uh, Kudos to the earth. And um, I love hearing about these stories. And if you have any story uh, that hasn't made the news, and maybe it's just a neighbor's story. Maybe it's a, a childhood story. Uh, maybe it's a story of one of your friends. Uh, please share it with us at AskJim at JimFannon.com. Uh, negativity is spread 20 to 1. 20 to 1. A negative gossip, rumor, hearsay, putting somebody down, talking like a victim, being a judge of someone in a negative way, that spreads 20 times a positive. And to do your part of changing our planet into a positive ecosphere, a system of extreme positivity, not only with the animals, not only with the plants, but with each and every one of our thoughts, how do you change the world? Change your thoughts. Look in the mirror and then change the thoughts of everyone in your home. If you hear negativity, call someone out on it. Don't do it in a negative way. Just call them out. If someone passes a rumor or gossip, that just happened yesterday in my home. Someone came in and wanted to gossip about a friend of ours. And my wife and I both, we stopped it. We, we don't want to hear it. No, I don't want to hear it. I, I don't want to go there. And uh, the delivery person was kind of miffed because they wanted us to know this information. And um, the best way to stop gossip is stop it within yourself. Don't pass it on. Don't accept it. And you can even go so far as to say, I'm sorry, I don't gossip. You don't need to say it. <laughs> that's gonna. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's being blunt, uh, but I've said that, and people don't pass on gossip to me because it's if you don't want it to go anywhere, don't give it to me. I don't want to hear it, and and if you do slip it in, uh, it's going to die right here on the vine. We can change negativity by changing our own ecosphere, our own home, our own workplace our own team. I had um, someone call me a a father talking about parents of kids on his son's team, how negative they were. And he was talking about them in a negative way. And he asked me, what do I need to do? I said, quit talking about it in a negative way and start talking about positives. Walk away from it. And teach your son 
on how not to get involved in that deal from strength. And if you're gossiping, if you're passing on negatives, and our news is negative, uh, and we keep passing it on, we'll take something negative from the news. Oh, my gosh, did you hear what happened in politics? Did you hear what happened in Spain? Did you hear? It's all about negativity. Uh, get these positive stories. Tell those to as many people as possible. Tell the story about the high school pitcher in Minnesota. Tell that to your kids. That's an amazing story, and kudos to uh, to that pitcher. That's a true champion. These are the stories that really need to be told. There's some amazing stories going on right now, humanitarian, on our border. There are positive stories of people helping and giving other people hope. And these are the stories that are positive, and those are the ones that need to be told. Let's go out in some mailbag and some Zone Cafe as we send you out into having an amazing week. A little bit of a shorter one here I, I grabbed this week. Uh, you can send your question to ask Jim at jimfannon.com. Since the, the whole episode's about coaching, we'll, let's do a short one. Ask Jim at jimfannon.com to get your question answered. Hey, Jim, leading a team and uh, business is good right now because the economy is good. Looks like interest rates are going to have to go up at some point. How can I prepare my team to be competitive when it's not as easy to make money in the future? Uh, right off the bat, I would set a 90-day goal. I, I would start working in some smaller uh, spurts. You know, lions don't hunt when their belly's full. And right now, a lot of people are making a lot of money and the belly's full and we're looking to spend it, maybe invest it or maybe sit on it. Uh, but I would set some short-term goals, 30-day goals, 60-day goals, no more than 90-day goals. Of course, they could fit into an annual uh, or a long-term goal. I, I think uh, if you have your own personal entrepreneurial business, uh, I would also start uh, a opportunity fund. And that's some cash that you extract almost as a savings account for potential opportunities. Now, this is not a an emergency fund. I'd have one of those as well, an emergency fund. Oh, my goodness, my business needs a new roof. Well, for the past five years, I should have been saving up for that new roof. Uh, most of us don't do that. We expect that big influx of cash will just come in and I'll be able to buy that roof. Uh, I would have an emergency fund, but I would have an opportunity fund. And that's some money set aside for the opportunity of a new product or a new service or maybe an acquisition uh, or an expansion uh, to increase your territory. Uh, and I would get that fund uh, started by 30, 60, or 90-day goal. Stay hungry and uh, and keep your eyes open. I absolutely love that. And if I could just say something from personal experience, if you're wondering how to do that in your company, there's something about companies that when times are going really good, they just want to go buy a bunch of stuff that might be fine, but they don't need it. It's like, oh, let's do the, let's redo this conference room. Oh, let's redo this conference room. Let's put up some TVs. And none of those things are helping you make money. <laughs> uh, there's your opportunity fund right there. You can probably just stop buying things you don't need and look for those opportunities. You know, somebody asked me uh, uh, some time ago, so do you have a, a PhD? I said, absolutely. I said, uh, the PhD that I have 
uh, is helped me be successful. Really, well, tell me about it. Uh, PhD. You always perform as if you're poor, hungry, and determined. <laughs> you got to have your PhD, Seth, if you're going to be successful. You got to always perform like you're poor, hungry, and determined. There's your PhD. That's what you need. I have uh, not heard that one before. Hey, let's go ahead and go out uh, by stopping by the Zone Cafe. Uh, you know, when you get coached by Jim, when you know where you're going, that means you need to reach a high daily standard. And to reach a high daily standard, that means you need to be doing a score check every day and stopping by the Zone Cafe for what you need. There's five elements, self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, and enjoyment. You get those right, and that attracts the zone. So we're cooking right now, Seth. We got some self-discipline. We got a big ladle of it that we're getting ready to put into a bowl. That's the willingness. That's a commitment, a blueprint, a well-defined plan that's going to lead to the goals and the dreams being realized. If you need that, order that right now. And again, you can come up to the Zone Cafe for any part of your life or with your life as a whole. But maybe maybe you've got a plan. Maybe you just got so much talent, you're thinking too much. Maybe you're dipping into the left side of your brain for uh, rationale and, and, uh, and also going into the right side of the brain for creativity. Uh, maybe you need to focus. Maybe you've got too many balls up in the air you're trying to juggle. It's always easier to juggle one than ten. Uh, If you need to narrow your focus and improve your concentration, place your order for that. Maybe you need confidence. Maybe you need to have more than just belief. Maybe you need some expectancy and that sense of knowing that this pathway that you're on is the right pathway. If you need more optimism, you can order a big bucket of optimism. I know we're cooking that. But maybe you are confident, but... You're a little anxious, and maybe you got some trepidation. Maybe there's a little fear of what's around the corner or over the horizon. So if you got some worry, you've got some anxiety, you definitely need a giant drink of our relaxation. And um, if relaxation is what you need, and that's going to help you breathe six to eight breaths a minute and add more serotonin into your bloodstream, order that. But maybe, Seth, maybe maybe you just need the happy meal. Maybe you need to skip a little bit, uh, put a song in your heart, and uh, maybe you need to smile a little bit. Maybe you need to give a little bit, which will definitely put a smile on your face. So if you need some enjoyment uh, while you're executing all these tasks and working really hard, uh, you can order that. You know, the awareness, Seth, of these five uh, ingredients uh, fixes it 90% of the time. The Zone Cafe is to help you become aware of what you need. And these five markers, they form a domino-like chain, and you're only as strong as the weakest link. And, and Seth, you're responsible for each and every one of the repairs. So what do you need, Seth, based on what you did last week? what If you could get any of those right now and you can only select one, you can come back later, what are you ordering? You know, for the next few hours after we wrap the show, I'm actually going to physically go hang out on the beach a block uh, from my place with my wife. And we're probably just going to kind of sit there and read for an hour 
And man, that resets my mind. Uh, you know, this is a lot of fun, a lot of optimism with the Jim Fannin show, a lot of concentration. I go back into a little relaxation, then I'm ready for uh, for the next thing that I've got on you know on the blueprint. What's what's what do you, what do you got going on this week? I have to tell you, I'm going to pick relaxation. Uh, I my focus is very narrow. Uh, I have uh, well defined goals for the week. I've already visualized it. Uh, and by the way, every Sunday night, everyone listening, join me mentally. We, we're going to have a psychic meeting because every Sunday night, I visualize the greatest week that I've ever had in my life. And I see no more than three or four things, uh, no more than five things that I will accomplish. And I see it as if it's so. So right now, I'm disciplined and I'm focused. And I know that I just need to chill out, relax, and allow the blueprint to manifest. Uh, I'm already on that pathway. So I'm right there with you. I may join you and Amanda on the beach with you. It's a Should I bring a <laughs> bottle of wine? Well, she's you know, pregnant. Maybe you know, not. <laughs> you, and I, you and I can have a glass of wine, though, right? Yeah, it unfortunately doesn't go with the third trimester of pregnancy. Uh, hey, thank you so much for joining us. We are so glad that we get to be a part of your life and help you get to where you want to go. And we always go out with those same special words. Be in the zone, everybody. It's the only place to be. This is a leveling the playing field quick fix on Radio Influence. This week's episode is with Stephanie Jarvis. So Stephanie currently serves as the principal of S. Jarvis Consulting. She's also a lecturer at the Arizona State University's Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law. I do tell some of the students sometimes, I failed. Like I got F's and D's in college and I'm still okay. Oh my God. Like, don't freak out about it. Y'all, so. I had to take accounting yeah. three times. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I tried so hard with organic chemistry. I will say that I remember I got 35 of about 150 on the first test. And I went to the professor and I said, what can I do? And he's like, you need to study every night. I studied three hours a night, every night, just for that class. And I got a 14 out of 150 on the next one. Oh my God. I called my mom and dad. And my mom and dad said, there's nothing you can do. Your brain is not wired this way. So just give up. And I was like, I'm good with that. But I was like, I'm just going to take the bad grade because I had really given everything I could to it and it just didn't work. But then I found what did work and yeah, things well, were okay. Leveling the playing field with Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>